On this week's episode, Lee Griffin becomes distraught again while talking about his holes. Not even a few hours. It only had to last me five minutes to get to the hangar, put it away, close the door, drove away. But a a large hole from skidding the tire is probably not even going to make it to the hangar. So let's let's stick with like a small like nail. Well, yeah, but it's it's not going to work like that. A large they don't blow large holes like that. You're the one that brought know. up a one-inch hole from a yeah. skid. I was surprised. I, I'm, I'm going on the. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm going on the fly. Well, no, 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 no. The patch where the cords are going to be. You think you can wear a, a microscopic hole in it from locking up the tires? No, it's a patch like six inches wide. Scott Boris gives more cost-saving tips to aircraft owners. I mean, who bothers to put a patch in? Just go to go to your local airport, and obviously they. If they have a maintenance facility, they change a lot of tires. You're going to have guys that change their tires when they don't need to. Just find their tire pile, dig through it. You're going to find a tire that's halfway decent that you can put on your plane. I used to do it. It's fine. And I randomly decide to announce the fly-in I just invented on the fly. We haven't really talked about this, but when we hit 100,000 downloads for the podcast, we are going to... We're going to have a, a massive rager fly in it. Welcome to the Far Aim Podcast. My name is Robert Berger, joined by our hosts, Scott Boris and Lee Griffin. We are going to be covering uh, some maintenance stuff today. Not sure what the title of the show is going to be yet, but we are covering uh, FAR 43.3 Part G, Part Golf. And uh, full disclosure, none of us are AMPs or IAs or any in- inspection maintenance personnel credentials. I'm pretty much. Uh, we're just co- I'm pretty much an IA. You you own a Craftsman wrench set. Yeah, so. I own some tools, and I have worked on my plane before, so I think that that's all you need. Legal, legally. Lee, does that which we'll cover? Does here. that make me an IA legally? Uh, no, no, it does oh. not. Oh, okay. Popular, you know, or contrary to popular opinion, no. But my yeah. stance on all of this has changed, which we will get into. But my stance right. has has definitely changed. Let's get into this. This is a this is one of these. We're just doing this is a very long reg forty three point three. We are concentrating on just part B this episode. Uh, we'll we will cover other aspects of this uh, G, at some right? point in the future because this is yep part golf. Yeah. For Scott doing his show prep as we are recording already. Um, so part G is short and sweet uh, conversation starter, and we'll—I'll uh, just read it all first, and then we'll we'll roll from that. Uh, except for holders of a sport pilot certificate, the holder of a pilot certificate issued under Part 61 may perform preventative maintenance on any aircraft owned or operated by that pilot, which is not used under part 121, 129, or 135 of this chapter. The holder of a sport pilot certificate may perform preventative maintenance on an aircraft owned or operated by that pilot and issued a special airworthiness certificate in the light sport category. That's it. This is basically, in most cases... Um, you need uh, an AMP, which when I first got into the aviation, I thought that was the letter A, the letter M, the letter P. It's not. It's actually A, 
and uh, the and sign Ampersand. and then the letter P. Yeah. And that's yes. that is for airframe and power plant, right? Yep. Correct. Um, and that is like the entry level certificate for maintenance personnel. Uh, you can get the uh, aircraft, which does not allow you to work on power airframe, plant, but you can you can work on airframe. Yeah, oh, I didn't know you could get just the A. Yeah, most people never. Most people just get both when they yeah. do it. Uh, but you, it is two separate certifications. Um, so you can get just the power plant, or you can get just the airframe. Uh, and then the IA is inspection authorization, which is a step above that, where you can. That's kind of the higher level one. Uh, Lee, you're you're gunning, gunning to get in on this. I can see. Yeah, I mean, most time now, I think they're calling them AMTs, aviation maintenance technicians. I don't know okay. if that is the kind of the way they're moving towards calling them. I mean, I it's heard AMP. that. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah I mean, well, that I mean, I guess maybe it's more of an AMP. Well, they still say a lot of stuff that isn't right, but um, yeah, I I think that's the general the general thing because then it covers maybe a wider swath. I mean, in general, because you have guys that are like avionics guys. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if it's designed to maybe catch those guys. I don't know that really the difference. I'm sure there's some finite difference between A and P and an AMT. I don't know, yeah. but I'm just saying I, and kind of in my, uh, in my career, I hear more AMT versus A and P on the IA stuff. Yeah. I'm just throwing it out there because, you know, if somebody's I've, listening in a different country. Maybe they call something different. I don't know. Yeah, I have I've I've heard it called both um, the AMT, which that's not an AN, that's an actual M, right? Yeah, so it's maintenance aviation maintenance technician. Yeah, and that's I'm what the sure. um, there is another book. This is obviously the Far Aim podcast, F A R A I M, which is a book, and there's also the uh, F A R A M T A M T. Oh, well, there you go. Which, See, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the maintenance book? Uh, anybody looking uh, in the maintenance area want to start another podcast? That's uh, up for grabs. Edit all that um, out, man. Edit all that <laughs> out. We can grab well, it too. <laughs> Not that we'll ever run out I'll of anything. Just, I'll just register the the domain uh, <laughs> before we release this. We'll be fine. Anyway, um, this is basically uh, if. So we just covered all the the technical certifications to do the vast majority of maintenance on airplanes. You do need that certification. You got to go through that schooling and or meet experience requirements. From what I have heard anecdotally, it's more more likely now to go through school than to actually do that thirty months of experience requirements now. I could be wrong on that. That could be. I know people that have done it both have. ways. I know people have done it either way. You know, young people though. No, I mean, because I know. I don't actually. I, I know in the. Past, I don't know anybody young. Well, okay, I know one person younger that's that's got an AMP, but everybody else I know that's got one is older. Because, again, anecdotally from just talking to people, supposedly it's been it was more common in the past to do the, like the 30 months of experience working a shop yeah. and then sit for the exams and then 
do like whatever you'd call the it's not a a check airman but it's you're in a shop actually testing out somewhere to like an aircraft rating but like now it's more you go through school uh is is the vast majority of people from what i've heard but that, that's probably an issue for another podcast episode uh, this part g go ahead Scott. a good friend of mine just got his ia and uh he didn't go to school. He just, he logged all the hours he's been working on. He had his AMP for a long time now and worked under another IA or a couple different IAs just doing, he's retired. He does maintenance, you know, for, it's kind of a side job. He's been logging the hours and then I don't know, he went and took the test and now he's an IA. I don't know. Nice. That's yeah, it's a whole other episode we can probably do if we yeah. get one of the guys on as a guest who knows more at some point. It's something I, if I had the time at some point in my life, I'd probably want to do it. Uh, but this specific section is about what you, as a owner or operator of an aircraft, are allowed to do uh, from a maintenance perspective uh, to your airplane legally without requiring an AMP certification or an IA. Uh, is that a, is that a good summary, Lee? Yep, that's what I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty vague, though. Like, preventative maintenance could cover a lot of things, you know? Well, I will start with, um, again, I'm sure we'll do episodes uh, in the future about my brief stint as a, a banner tow pilot. But the banner towing company I worked for... Um, when I went through the initial training with them, they, it was like a one or two day little course with their, their maintenance lead maintenance guy, the manager of it. And, uh, one of the points I remember was this preventative maintenance, uh, reg that we covered. And they used an example cause they were teaching us what, when we're out in the field, um, what we were allowed to do the airplanes and what we were not allowed to do the airplanes. They wanted it to be very clear. And one, the poignant uh, piece that stuck out to me was if it's broken, you're not allowed to do it. If you If it's not broken, but may become broken in the future, um, if you let it just didn't do anything to it, uh, not universally, but in certain situations you could. And the example they used was a um, a tire replacement. Yeah. So there is some instances where uh, via this reg, you can replace a tire on your aircraft. And there are some instances where the exact same job, you cannot replace that tire. So if the tire is worn... Um, and it looks like it needs to be replaced, you can do it. But if you blow the tire out, then you can't do it. Exactly. The exact same job is what was explained to me from this company is if the tire is worn, like there's cords showing, or you can just tell it's worn out and needs replacing, but it doesn't, you could go fly the plane right now and be fine for, a, you know, several more flights, most likely, then that is not. That is considered preventative maintenance. So you can go ahead and legally, as at least private pilot level, or the, the sport thing uh, we mentioned at the end of that that part G, 
you can replace that tire. However, if you lock up the brake and it wears through and pops or you run over something that causes it to pop and it is flat, not or you cannot replace that same tire according to um, the lead maintenance guy. Okay, so if we think about that logically... It could be expanded to a lot of different parts of the aircraft. Well, well. So let's just stick. Well, let's just roll with that one. No pun intended. I mean, what, what, it, what makes that make sense? It didn't make sense. That was the fine letter of the law that they were teaching us, and they brought that us up as a, a crazy example. It, and it was never explicitly said, but it was like hint, hint. Never put in the logbook that the tire was flat if you change a tire. Like they never said this, but there's kind of an overtone of if you're out in the field and your tire pops, uh, just freaking replace it and put it in the logbook as. Uh, tire was worn tire was showing threads and then you're legal don't say tire was popped they, like I, they, they did not say this in the class i mean but this is the, the overtone i i got you could expand that theory onto you could say well my compression was starting to get a little bit low so i replaced the engine <laughs> you know i mean what how do, what where's well, the limit yeah but well so there i mean there is a limit I mean, in well, I, obviously appendix, there is, but but if you're using that, yeah, well, theory, there well, there's is, an appendix which you yeah, guys should pull okay. up, the appendix A for part 43, and it lists and it gives a brief description which I can read if you guys would like real quick. Go ahead. Uh, preventative maintenance is limited to the fu- so so we're I'm going to appendix A of part 43, and that um, covers uh, what they the the header here is major alterations, major repairs, and preventative maintenance. And then it gives you kind of obviously a definition for each of those. But eventually we get down to preventative maintenance, and it says preventative maintenance is limited to the following work, provided it does not involve complex assembly operations. The very first one is the example you've described. So uh, since that was brought up and that was kind of hammered home, like, hey, you know, the, that's the, the very finite intricacies of, of the interpret, interpreting the regs. It is the very first one is a removal, insulation, and repair of landing gear tires. So here, here's my thing. It says you can do it right there because it doesn't. it's not any more complex whether it's blown because you did it or it's shown cord. Not any more complex an operation to replace. Now, maybe there's a little bit of pilot error involved. You know, maybe you didn't use the brakes correctly and you blew it. I get that. But also, it, it seems to me that the principal operations inspector or POI for that operation probably kind of disseminated some information down to them. And that was their interpretation of it. Does that make sense, or what do you guys think? So it says preventative maintenance is limited to the following work, provided it does not involve complex assembly uh, operations. And there's a there's a lot a lot of things here which we can talk about. But the very first one: removal, installation, and repair of landing gear tires. So you can do this I company. What's that? Go ahead. So you can. No, what'd you say? It. Well, yeah, you can. As a, but yeah. Rob is under now, of course. What was that? Was that under some commercial regulation? Yeah, what part that were company. You we're it was a part ninety one operation. 
per 91. I mean, it's a commercial. It's like uh, banner uh, crop dusting, pipeline yeah, patrol. But this, this is limited. So part 91 is okay then. Part 121, 129, yes. and 135 are not. Right. And it specifically lists them. And then we're talking about the preventative maintenance concept here. And so it seems to me you're a commercially rated pilot in an aircraft that is owned or operated by you. So check and check. And then it's also explicitly listed right here at the very first one under preventative maintenance. So now you delineated a very specific scenario. I was, yeah, I was repeating uh, the, the exact situation that was taught to me at this one or two day ground maintenance thing that we had to go through as, as banner toy. And, and I do want to say that the moment I said it, I, I did realize I never technically worked for the company. I was under contract with them because they don't actually hire on the pilots. You are, you're contracted, but that's splitting hairs. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, understood. So I guess, so what if I show up to my airplane I own or I'm going to operate the, you know, a banner airplane and I'm showing up and the tire is flat in the hangar. I don't know why it's flat. The guy before me, the day before me or me the day before parked it. And I put a little tiny hole in it. On landing, I locked up the brakes just a little bit, but it held air all the way, put it away. It was totally normal. And I got there the next day and, oh, it's out of air now. You can, because you can put air in a tire. Oh, no, it's got a hole in it. I put a hole in it when I landed. I did the same thing you did, just a, uh, uh, or the same thing you described, just a minor version of it. It was a, it was a big hole, you know, maybe, you know, the size of an inch, an inch around or, I guess that's, that's going to empty hole. immediately. Yeah, I know. And I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Very short that. taxi, very short taxi. You guys get the point. The you point might as well say like you hit a, a it, nail. It was a pinhole or something. Oh it takes God, a few dude. hours to deflate. Yeah. Not even a few hours. It only had to last me five minutes. To get to the well, hangar, put it away. I closed okay, the door but, drove away. But a, a large hole from skidding the tire is probably not even going to make it to the hangar. So let's let's stick with like a small like nail. Well, hole. yeah, but it's it's not going to work like that. A lar- they don't blow large holes like that. You're the one that know. brought up a one inch hole from a yeah. skid. I was. I'm I'm going on the oh my god <laughs> I'm going on the fly. Well, no, 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 no. The patch where the cords are going to be. You think you can wear a, a microscopic hole in it from locking up the tires? No. It's a patch like six inches wide. And then in the very, very center, you have some very small holes. Gorilla tape. Right. Go, go for it. <laughs> I'm, you guys are really getting me off topic. You flat off. spotted the tire off and run on the rims. <laughs> Just put skis. Weight reduction, skis man. Weight reduction. Weight It'll reduction. go faster. You can't pop them. Why are we running run flats on airplanes? Why is that? Is that a weight thing that hasn't hit the yeah, industry yet? I'm sure they're. Heavier. Well, I mean, they should almost be run flats anyways, because you got a tube inside them. But yeah. well, what if you pop it on? So thin. You pop it on takeoff, and then it deflates in in the air, and you go to land. It's a safety concern. Maybe okay. we should. They should all have run flats. Let's get back on topic. Well, I've been trying. You guys have been killing me, though. Jesus. 
I'm just saying you did it. The, you did the same thing. You did a minor version of it or the same version, but well, somehow it held air back to the hangar. You put it away. You showed up the next day to use the same airplane and it's flat. You found the problem. What is the difference between those two occurrences other than pretty much an instantaneous flat? There's replacing a flat tire versus a tire that is holding air is the exact same procedure. Uh, this example was just a technicality they got into with... Uh, what's the technicality, though? Proof. I guess the, I guess that's what I'm trying to The overall concept of this reg being preventative maintenance. I assume this just wasn't just a, a thing of their head maintenance guy who loved to have on the program at some point. One of the awesome, awesome uh, AMPs that I've... I've been around, but anyway, it it may have been a, a lawyer thing that was passed down with the company. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I wasn't privy to that information. I, I wasn't affiliated with the company for more than like a month and a half. So, if we go on, if you know, if I continue reading, and there's a bunch of uh, a bunch of other items, and I'll, I'll read a few if you don't mind, because I want to get to one that's a point. So, uh, replacing elastic shock absorber cords or landing gear. Um, surfacing landing gear shock struts by adding oil, air, or both. Surfacing landing gear wheel bearings, such as cleaning and greasing. Um, uh, replacing defective safety wiring or cotter keys. Lubricating not requiring disassembly other than to remove non-structural items, such as a cover plate, cowling, or fairing. And then this one, finally, this is the one I want to talk about, though, is making a simple fabric patch that doesn't require rib stitching or the removal of structural parts or control surfaces. So, and there's more to it. They start talking about balloons and stuff because, I mean, you're repairing, you know, the, the actual balloon part. So, you're making a simple fabric patch. So, that means there's already a tear or something wrong with the fabric. Correct. That's not preventative. That's preventative overall to the fact that it's going to get worse and it may become a big problem. So, I guess if there's already a tear, I'm not preventing the tear. I am preventing a bigger tear. I'm preventing a bigger problem. So, I mean, I guess I can kind of see where I'm going there, which is different than the tire, but the tire example in specific, I don't, I don't, I don't see the problem. You blew the tire, you pulled off the runway or you limped it to the hangar. Right. And it's no different situation. I just think that it's never going to be an issue. Like just change your tire. Nobody cares. And it's, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with that. Like I, I understand from a legal standpoint, it's kind of important to know what you kind of can't do. But for in reality, if you change your tire, is anybody going to care? No. Well, in reality, change your tire, get an A and P to right. look over your work yeah. and sign it off, well, and then there's no questions. If an if an A and P or an I A looks at your work and signs it off, you can pretty much do whatever you want, right? As long as you have an I A willing yeah. to. I mean, supervising the work. Yeah, so you that's can, that's you a can extreme ins- example. You can install an, well, you can install an, an engine. Example? There, yeah, there is. You can install an engine on your plane, and if a, if you have an IA that's willing to look it over and say, "Yeah, it's installed properly," and sign it off, that's legal. There's no right? limit to what you can do work on your plane if you have, if you have an IA that will sign exactly. For it. So. It, like it yeah. doesn't matter. So it was kind of an extreme example. Like the, with the, well, yeah, with the, no. whatever you said was the tire change. But, 
if you did that, then no, it wouldn't be a problem. It's like, yeah, you could do literally anything to your airplane. You do anything, and it wouldn't be a problem. Oh no, no, I was just, I was just responding to to Scott saying the legal argument. If you wanted to somehow, like, if you were trying to circumnavigate the whole concept of paying extra money or getting a job done, I, I, which I guess doesn't really save you any headache because you got to get somebody else involved. You might as well have them install the tire. But what I would always be afraid of, and I don't know if this is just me being um, paranoid, you know, I, I'm picturing like a tea hanger, you know, an open tea hanger, and you got some a hanger tenant next to you. You don't know who they know, what they're going right. to say, who they're going to call. That's what I'm always afraid of. Um, you know, that's kind of my livelihood. If I were to go do this, which I never would, it's so much easier to just pick up the phone and call. What I would yeah, do maybe is- I'll, We'll go, go ahead. I was what, just gonna say what I would do is I would you know look up you know one of the bigger aircraft parts, order the, the tire cheaply, so I'm not like paying profit margin on top of a product. Right. I understand paying for the service. I get that, yeah. but pick up the phone, maybe order it, and be like, hey, you know, I'm gonna have it shipped there. It'll be there in a couple of days if you can just install for seventy bucks or whatever. Oh yeah, I wouldn't actually yeah. do anything or, with the plane. I'd what I do like what I have done asked is like. Well, a few years ago when I put new wingtips on my plane, remember? Mm-hmm. I just called my IA and was like, do you care if I put these on and you check them out and sign for them? Or do you want to do it yourself? And he's like, no, you put them on and I'll check them out. And if everything looks good, I'll sign for them. And then we did it that way, you know, because everybody that owns an airplane has an IA because you have to, obviously, to get an annual. So if there's something that you need to do to the plane, just call your IA and it's like, do you mind if I do this and you inspect it and then sign for it, you know, and then you're, then you're always covered. Then you don't have to worry about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's my understanding, you know, maybe somewhere buried in here, there are regulations that, you know, make this not a hundred percent kosher, but, no, but that's it's been it's my understanding. Up to your IA, like it's on him at that point. If he wants to, oh sign yeah, for yeah, it, if they're signing for, it, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. How did that, you know, component get on there, right. or how did that component get replaced? And they're saying, hey, I did it. Taking full responsibility as, for it. I'm taking responsibility for it. For it. Yeah. yeah, that I guess that's what they're doing. So is they're taking so responsibility if, for if it. If your IA knows you and trusts you, and is like, yeah, you're not an idiot, and I can look at your work. I'll sign for it. Well, then you're- yeah. And if you look at one of these logbook entries and I don't have one in front of me, but if you look at it, it seems to me that the very first kind of sentence, which is very telling, it says, I certify that this aircraft is, you know, is can return to service. Basically, they're not saying I certify that I completed every piece, you know, every part of this annual or this 100 hour. They're not yeah. saying they did no. it. They're saying they no. certify that it's airworthy yeah. and that it's ready to go back to service. Right. doesn't matter who did the work. They inspected it. Inspection yeah. authorization. Does, it's not, it's not uh, maintenance authorization. It's inspection authorization. So they, they're just, all they have to do, all they're required to do is inspect it. But what if it's just a 100-hour inspection? Because you brought up the inspection authorization, which allows them to do an annual well, same and thing. And A&P can still do it a 100-hour. Oh, really? You don't have to have yeah. an IA for a 100-hour? Uh-uh. uh-uh. Well, I thought you did. No. No? Okay. Well, I didn't know that. I did not know that either. 
Yeah, yeah. A and P's can do a hundred hour inspections, but the IA is what's for the annual inspection. Yeah, I thought a hundred hour was the, basically the same thing as an annual. It is the exact same thing, but the difference is an A and P can sign off a one hundred hour so inspection. If so once flying, every twenty. Go ahead. If you're flying like a one thirty five, you're flying all the time. You're flying, um, you know, several hundred hours a year and you're going to do several hundred hours a year, do you still have to do one annual? One of them has to be signed off by an IA okay. to count as an annual. Does it matter so, when it's signed off? Or obviously within the, the next... Yeah, within the 12 months or 12 calendar months, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, my, what I would recommend to people is do everyone as an annual inspection, and then you're all constantly, every 100 hours, resetting the clock. Right. And that was something I brought up to a previous you know uh, company that I worked for. And it was like, well, the FAA doesn't think that's realistic that that they would inspect every single 100 hour, you know, what would have been a 100 hour. They're yeah. not going to do an annual inspection every but three the months or two are the months. Same, aren't they? The requirements are the same, but yeah. um, there was some, uh, there was some reason they didn't think that was a good idea, which I thought was totally stupid, but um, just do it as an annual. Y- then I, yeah, then you're never out of annual. You know, why do you have to have the specifics? Now, the very first sentence of these inspections when the, in the law in the aircraft logbook will say, you know, I certify that this aircraft, you know, I re- basically it's been a hundred hours been completed or an annual has been completed. And so when you change those wordings, it changes who can sign for it. AMP can sign off a 100 hour. So if you're um, going to a flight school, like a commercial flight school, and you're using one of their aircraft used for commercial services or commercial operations, obviously flight training is one of them. That airplane is legally needs a 100 hour inspection. Every 100 hours of time in service, it will need a 100 hour inspection. If for, you know, people who own an airplane that don't like, why are they talking about a hundred hour so if it's, you know, banner towing, crop dusting, pipeline patrol, you know, flight school, uh, and uh, plane rides, uh, if you're doing, you know, aerial tours, um, 135 operators, you know, which are air taxi operators, they would all need 100-hour inspections. What are plane, and, if you're doing plane rides, what do you operate under? That's just part 91, yeah, just like flight, just like okay. every, all those other ones. Unless you're doing, if you're not moving passengers, if you're not going like point to point with passengers, that's really the only time it's got its own 135 or 121, 129. So if you're if you're yeah. flying cargo, you still need a a, a 100 hour, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. If you're making, yep. yeah, that's still a commercial operation. That's still a 135. Cargo operation. is 135. Um, I believe so. If you're making money on the aircraft that needs a 100 hour inspection, yeah. Because so even, for example, like a commercial flight school rents out airplanes. Those need 100-hour inspections in addition to the annual aircraft inspection. Correct? I don't know. I don't even know what you just said. <laughs> it, like if, a, a flight, flight school, school that owns air. aircraft and rents those aircraft out, those aircraft are required to have a 100-hour inspection in addition to the annual inspection. Yeah, every 100 hours of time in service, it will need a, uh, an inspection. It is an annual inspection. The same, the requirement, the same requirements, the same actual items are checked and completed on a 100 hour inspection. It is just called something different. It is the same inspection as an annual, 
It is just called something different. So they're saying, hey, you know, we don't want you to be able to rack up a thousand hours on this thing in one year and it get one inspection. We know that these airplanes are they're wear and tear items. We want you to make sure they are continuously in an airworthy, uh, you know, status. So, you know, if you're going to go make money on it and you're going to let the general public go operate this aircraft, it needs to be consistently maintained to annual inspection, you know, uh, criteria. I don't, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And, um, if you're not flying for money, you own your own aircraft and in like Scott's situation, I used to have a 150, um, my situation, we were not, we weren't operating the aircraft for hire. Um, you, we weren't making money off of it. So we were not required to have the 100 hour inspection. You just needed the, the once a year. I don't think I ever flew more than a hundred hours in one year. Maybe, maybe got close to it once, but I don't think I ever actually broke a hundred hours. In we one put year. over. I had a a partner on the one. Oh well, yeah, you, your plane might have, but mine didn't. Yeah, I was, but we we still weren't required. Did you have three, uh, Mr. three pilots flying yours? Because your partner and his yeah. dad would fly it too. So, Mr. Rob Engel, who was supposed to be on tonight, but had a date instead, so bailed on us. We had another topic we were going to cover with him, and we had to scramble because he canceled because he found some. Chick to go on a date on, so I thought, I thought call him married. out for that. Married? What? I thought he was married. Well, let's hope not, Scott. You really, uh... <laughs> no, Rob, Rob Engel is not married. I don't know. I don't know why. I thought, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Maybe Little... it's, he. It was over text message. It may be a a, a date maybe with a date with his girlfriend or fiance or whatever. With she his is. girlfriend, fiance. We don't know. Well, you can have to... date nights when you're married, guys. Oh, I have date He's nights. He's not married, though. Married. His father, Bob Engel, yeah, that could be confused with Rob, Rob Engel, but... uh, which I'm sure we'll have on the program at some point. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, we flew the, between the three of us with the one. Yeah, you yeah, guys, we, we yeah. went over 100 every year, I'm pretty sure. People flying the same airplane. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah well, it's uh, easy to do. Here, but what is 129? I believe 129 is like scheduled, uh, like piston, like old school piston powered stuff. Really? It's so something I never heard weird. Of it. Hold on. I would, Let me look it up. Obviously, 121 and 135 oh. are obvious, but I just never heard anybody talk about 129 before. You know, I, I don't had, even have it here. I had never heard of 129 either, but I do want to. Um, we, we have mentioned this once or twice in other episodes, but just if you're not familiar, uh, we're talking about the different parts. Part 91 is the section of the uh, FARs, Federal Aviation Admi- Regulations, um, that covers, like if you own your own airplane or your flight training, uh, you're operating under Part 91. It's the general, kind of general aviation rules. Uh, 135 is kind of like a mini airline or commercial operation that's not scheduled. And then part 121 is what you think of for like the, the airlines where you can book a flight ahead of time and it's scheduled. And it's just that each segment operates under a different part of the federal aviation. 135 FARs. 135 is charter. 
basically. Yeah, air taxi, air taxi, yeah. Air taxi charter operation you stuff. But you can't have like we got a you know a two thirty leaving from point A to point B. You know, there got to be there. There can there are limited instance uh, instances where one thirty five can be scheduled. Okay. There's certain aircraft criteria that need to be met. I know that to work, but um, for the most part, you know, when you think of air taxi, you know, in Alaska and, and some of those stuff, some of that stuff like that, um, you used to be able to run almost anything uh, scheduled one thirty five, and I believe that went away in nineteen eighty four. And that's kind of why, where uh, Island Airlines with the tri-motor, well, that's where does, that went away. How does... Uh, uh, because, well, company grandfathering in and just don't hurt anything, don't hurt anyone and whatever. And they can blame it on some stuff. Because remember, they have the Peely schedule. They have the Peely schedule that customs dictates. Yeah. They have okay. to... That, the customs has to dictate... Customs so they blame have to approve that schedule. Every year, is so it they just, have to adhere to that yeah. and the mail contract. So if you kind of think about it, there's limited to the U.S. islands, though. What's that? Scott, say that again. It's cut out. I mean, yeah, it's it's all the time. It does that to him. What about the regular flights to the U.S. islands? Well, that's what I'm trying to say. Is when you look at the bookends and you you filter in the times we have scheduled for Peely flight or the times they have scheduled for Peely flights and mail flights. There's only so much latitude you have in the middle. So it, effectively, yes, it basically boils down to just they turned a blind eye to it because they've been doing it so long. That's the, that's the bottom line. The and it's in an advisory schedule. If somebody calls, hey, I want to go. No, we can't do that. We can do 8 o'clock or 8.30. You can't publish it, though. So they don't publish their flight times? No. No. Oh, okay. Because you can't. You can't. Yeah. You legally can't. That's scheduled. Okay. You know, you know, I, know what I'm they, saying? I thought they got them published. They don't have them published. You no. just call and they tell you when you can go. Yeah. I mean, and it's always the same. So, I mean, obviously, yeah. if you, you know, if well, everybody that uses it, uses the service, knows what times the flights are. So, yeah, they know where they live and they know what time and they make it can easy. Hey, it's, you know, 15 after the hour and 15 till the hour would be the, you know, out and back, you know, departing or arriving flights if if that makes any sense but yeah 1984 the scheduled um 135 pretty much all but went away for small aircraft um to get back to your question earlier 129 is for i was thinking 125 which is the weird stuff i was talking about 129 is scheduled foreign scheduled air carriers yeah so if they're coming in from a foreign country yeah, it's just, yeah, their rules, yeah, whatever. The three of us are familiar with the Peely and U.S. flights. Is there a way we can sum up what the hell we were talking about for the hundreds of listeners now? Yeah, P- or- so Peely, so the operation we're talking about, one of their bigger, uh, one of the islands that they fly to uh, seasonally, it's one of their primary summer season uh, destinations is Peely Island, which is the southernmost point in Canada. And there happens to be a lot of American cottage owners up there. And um, back in the day when, when the border was not as strict as it is now, it was very easy. Property was cheap, beautiful property. And, and 
you got exactly what you wanted and it was very out of place. You know, it was kind of, you know, kind of like a paradise type thing for not much money, you know, when you're coming from Cleveland or Toledo or Detroit. Um, so a lot of Americans bought property there, have cottages and homes there. And now the, the border has made it very, very tough and the ferry service is not great. So um, the operation we're talking about flying passengers is um, that's a big portion of their business, but it is technically an international flight so they have to clear customs so the passengers the pilots everything going up there has to clear customs um and in a busy summer weekend there can be 12 flights a day to this one you know destination it's a 15 minute flight um but um there can be you know 12 12 flights a day and in each flight maybe three four up to five airplanes um, so, but still uh, going through customs. And so each season, you know, coming up, you know, through January, uh, when the season hasn't ramped up yet, we have to submit, they have to submit the uh, schedule that we would like to fly a year, basically a year in it for the next month, for the next year, for the, the pre-proceeding year, right? Proceeding year. Um, and then customs. On both sides, U.S. Customs and Canadian Customs have to approve it. So that is one way of kind of somebody else externally setting a schedule. Yeah, they're for dictating you. the times that you have to fly anyway. So yeah, so that that is get around. one way. What? Is, yeah, we're not doing it. Is, customs is doing it. What? Why not just get the one twenty one? Is it is it a lot more complicated to be one twenty one? Well, no, none of the, none of the airplanes they fly would meet the requirements. Oh, they really? got to be transport category, right? Yeah, they, well, that well, that's well, that's one. Yeah, you can be you can be one thirty five, and in some limited instances, you can be scheduled in a part twenty three airplane. Um, and there are part twenty three commuter category, and that's a whole other thing. Well, but what's, yeah, we wouldn't meet any of the criteria. No. Okay, for part one twenty one for scheduled. Yeah. What's it have to be? Way well, like Rob said, it has to be a transport category airplane. Well, I know. So well, that what means is, it needs what to is be. It? Transport category airplane. Transport category airplane means it basically needs to be a a, a, a multi-engine aircraft okay. that has basically proven performance, meaning yeah. under all a wide range of temperatures, elevations, weights, whatever, an engine or a number of engines can fail, and you can still continue to take off and climb safely and yeah. maneuver around and basically come back to land. Yeah. Very, very oversimplification. There's a ton of other stuff, you know, for safety and emergency exits and all kinds of stuff. Cockpit voice recorders, flight data recorders, all that kind of stuff. The assumption is you are holding out or not, hold, not holding out, but well, I mean, I guess you are, but you're, you're transporting the general public. That, so the assumption is, well, if anybody, you know, we can have Joe Schmo pay for a ticket, this other Joe Schmo pay for a ticket, and they can go all be on this flight together. And the general public, we're going to have to hold them to a different standard. If they go kill, you know, 150 people, right. 30 people, we need to know what went wrong, accident investigation, all kinds of crazy stuff. But yeah, totally different certification standards. So it basically puts you out of business. The airplane yeah. certified. Is it under t- part twenty five for transport category, and it's part yeah. twenty three for just regular Normal. airplanes, yeah. like we'd think of, like a Cessna or Piper and stuff? Yeah, part twenty three, and under part twenty three, like I said, there's a commuter category, which you know that you know a Twin Otter falls in there. The Beach nineteen hundred, a lot of people are familiar with. 
Um, I don't think sobs would. I think sobs or the sob three forty. I think those are all transport part twenty five. I'm not one hundred percent, but but yeah, I, when we're getting kind of off in in the weeds, but um, the, we we kind of got there. I think with the hundred hour versus the annual inspection. So yeah. if you're renting an airplane, if you're learning to fly, you're renting an airplane from a flight school. That airplane have peace of mind. That airplane gets a one hundred hour inspection. And your instructor will probably tell you all about that. But in addition to that, so the 100 hour gets done by, can be done by an IA, of course, because that's kind of the upper echelon, but it can be signed off by an A&P. But the annual inspection, you need to have the IA designation uh, certification on your, um, I don't know, I guess your, I guess your mechanics license. I don't know how to say that, your A&P license. But yeah, yeah you have to have an A&P with inspection authorization. And inspection authorization means the inspection is the annual inspection. Yes. it's the, They get the same. It's a mechanics version of the pilot's uh, certification in the U.S. It's this, the, the green, It's a green card you get in the U.S. Um, for all FAA certifications, whether it's your main flying one, your flight instructor one, your ground instructor one. Those are the three different ones that I have. Uh, if I were to get an AMP, for example, I'd have four little green cards sitting in my wallet. Um, wow. They all look the same. That's 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 cool. That would be cool. No, it would be cool. Yeah. At some point, I'd love to get an AMP. It'd it. be nice. I just don't have the attendance span for it. I would I would be cool with helping, but when it gets to something like I don't really want to do, I'd kind of like to be able to like, hey, you got this. I'll see you on Monday when I'm picking it up. You know, I, I would, I'd muscle through a course to, and it's, it'd be a long course. Oh, I'd get through a course, uh, but an actual, yeah, I, I would actuality though, hmm, you're in a open hangar probably that doesn't have air conditioning, hmm, getting dirty. You don't want to spend my free time like that. When are you when are you sweating outside in Ohio? Three months a year? Yeah, down in Florida it'd be a nightmare, but up there it's like you'd be freezing your butt off most of the year doing working on airplanes in an open hangar. And that's that's another question that I always think about is okay, so when I get my own airplane, I don't want to have it down in the middle of summer because that's when I'm probably gonna want to fly it. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm probably gonna want to fly it all year round, but when is the right time to really have an annual planned for? Depends on if you have a heated hangar or not. Well, yeah. Well, of course there is that. Yeah. But I mean, I don't if you got a heated hangar, do it in the middle of winter. If you don't, well, I'm going to fly in the middle of winter. I'm not going to be a pansy like you as the only person on the show, right? As the only person on the show right now that has a hangar, Scott is yours heated yet. No, but I have a torpedo heater that will do a decent job in a small area. You've got no insulation in that thing yet, though, right? No, no. I'm stocking up. I'm I'm keeping all of those for my home chefs. Preventative maintenance. How do we steer back onto that? Well, I mean, I think where we really got derailed is the the uh, the the tire thing. I'm he- seeing here um, under the appendix A of part forty three, the tire should can be changed. It can I, even be rep- how the hell do you repair a tire? I don't even know. 
So if you can repair it, why can you replace it? Doesn't the way I look at it doesn't matter what the cause is. Yeah, Scott, we didn't hear anything you just said. I mean, who bothers to put a patch in? Just go to go to your local airport, and obviously they, if they have a maintenance facility, they change a lot of tires. You're gonna have guys that change their tires when they don't need to. Just find their tire pile, dig through it. You're gonna find a tire that's halfway decent that you can put on your plane. I used to do it. It's fine. I was just gonna say you. This is how you used to get all of your tires for your airplane. Yeah. I totally forgot about that until yeah. just now. Yeah, the airport I used to work for had a giant tire pile that was in between some T hangers. Yeah, super EPA approved disposal process. Yeah, well, um, you couldn't see it at all because there was T hangers built around a section, which left like an open area in the middle. Which anybody that has like an Anybody's familiar with like older airports, they built T hangers like in like kind of a, a square or circle, which always left an open space in the middle. And that's where you, that's where they throw their tires. So find like find an airport that has a maintenance facility and dig through that pile. You're gonna find something that's usable. Just use that. We just saved aircraft owners and future owners so much money, Scott. Oh. I know. Oh, he's revolutionizing, you know, flying out of budget. That's that's Scott's other passion. Continental Tire just lost some guys market value. Change people aren't gonna buy as much. Like they're like half worn. So like fifty percent. Ah, just change it, you know. That's when you scoop that tire up and put that on your airplane because it's still got fifty percent left. I I can't disagree with you. I can't disagree with you. But anyways, it is something that you can legally do. I don't I, there. I think something came down from like the legalese or their POI, their principal operations inspector for the banner towing right. company. And they said, hey, this is kind of our interpretation of these rules, because they knew you, they were going to be teaching you guys about the do's and don'ts of operating and maintaining the aircraft. So it was, probably came up as a, a hot topic that they wanted them to cover would be I my like, thought. I feel like we've spent too much time on tires. How about an oil change? Yeah, you can change oil. Okay. Um, I'm getting back to you the list get, here. You, I can. You gotta get an AMP to sign for it, or can you just do it? No, that's preventative maintenance, right? So, okay. um, where right. I left um, off was making the fabric. Pa- what's what's up, Rob? We'll get, we'll get back to the list after bathroom break. Roll fancy music in between now, and we'll cut back. Boom. Yep, just coming back to the uh, list here, preventative maintenance in the uh, Appendix um, A of Part 43, which um, we've kind of talked about, and I've gotten through some of the things. I got down to fabric patches. Um, And then the next one, replenishing hydraulic fluid in the hydraulic reservoir, refinishing decorative coatings uh, of the fuselage, um, excluding balance control surfaces, um, so that's kind of up to you as the owner operator of the aircraft, know whether you have balanced surfaces, because if you refinish them, you can throw them off balance and they don't want you to remove it to balance it. So it's kind of like a chasing your own tail type thing. Um, uh, blah, 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 applying preserver productive material, uh, to components where no disassembly disassembly, uh, is required. Um, lubricating stuff basically uh repairing upholstery decorative furnishings making simple repairs to fairings um so that could be like um like if you re-fiberglass something non-structural just something aerodynamic replacing a side window um 
replacing safety belts, uh, replacing seats or seat parts, troubleshooting or repairing broken circuits and landing light wiring circuits. So they're very specific in what you can do here. Replacing bulbs, reflectors, lenses, replacing wheels and skis where no weight and balance computation is involved, replacing any cowling, replacing or cleaning spark plugs. So that's kind of these, there's a few coming up here. This is kind of what Scott was talking about. These are kind of the things you're going to run into a lot where there was no, just normal wear and tear. Like, hey, you know, in 50 hours, you're going to change the oil. You know, in 100 hours, you're going to do some of the spark plugs or whatever the case may be. These are the things that come up a lot. And, and so that's kind of the meat right here. Replacing or cleaning spark plugs and setting of spark plug gap clearances. You can do that. And something that was always brought up to me, uh, you know, in my uh, younger years, my formative years with aviation. Well, how is a, you know, uh, Joe Schmo who owns an airplane? Well, does he have a calibrated torque wrench? How does he install that spark plug to spec if he doesn't have a calibrated torque wrench? Bottom line is, even these torque specs have a tolerance. How far off can that Craftsman wrench be versus that snap-on wrench that you had calibrated? Who cares? I mean, there's people putting a spark plug in a car every single day. Maybe they're torquing it. Maybe they're not. They still run. It's probably going to run in an airplane. Who cares? A lot of your local EAA chapters will have a tool program. you can. They usually have a calibrated torque wrench you can borrow if you want to do You can do that too, or you can just not care. Tighten yeah. it up well, yeah, and go on yeah. with your life. Yeah. If tighten it up too much, well, don't strip I was it just at, I was just at Lowe's today tool shopping, and it's all made it shine anyway, so it's, I don't it's know all how junk. accurate that is yeah. to begin with. Yeah. That's the Craftsman torque wrench. That's a crime. It really yeah. is. Um, moving on, replacing any hose connections like hydraulic connections. That makes sense. You can replace prefabricated fuel lines. That seems a little in-depth, but uh, I don't know. Maybe there are certain airplanes. Use use your, I guess, use your head. If it seems more complex in your particular aircraft, and every aircraft has a maintenance manual, so obviously it will kind of give you more guidance. This is kind of a bare bones, but if it seems too complex for you, let an AMP or, you know, an AMT uh, do it yeah, for you. Basically, uh, it, like being a pilot, you know your limits. Don't do things. You should you know do. your limits and be conservative. Err on the conservative side. It may cost you some money, but it'll be done right. And it, you, you know, you fly the airplane one day, you come back, you fly it the next. Other than writing the check to the AMT, you didn't know anything transpired in the middle. That's not such a bad way to go. Um, check it over. Obviously, after maintenance is done, do a more thorough than normal pre-flight inspection, especially on the affected components that were replaced or repaired. Um, but that goes should go without saying to most people. But the mo- a lot of accidents do happen right after the airplane gets released from maintenance. So just keep that in mind. I'm not saying the maintenance do anything wrong. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Um, and then the next one, since it's not specifically stated that you can do an oil change, like Scott brought up, this is what gets people. And this is I was always told you could, and I was always told you couldn't. And then you dig into this, and you have to use context clues. Um, this is how you know you can do a oil change. It's not specifically said you can change an oil, but you know you can add oil as right. a, a pilot. Duh, right? This is what it says. Cleaning or replacing fuel and oil strainers or filter elements. Hmm. You know you can clean them or replace them. You Contextually, you know you can add oil. So between those two, you can legally do an oil change. It's not stated as an oil change, but here, how yeah. do you guys feel about that? 
Well, yeah, I know this is a change filter, then that's an oil change. That's an oil change. I know this is a controversial subject amongst some uh, aircraft mechanics uh, that we know. It it is. It is. But I mean, how much more uh, clear cut can that be? I don't think. What do you give me more? What do you got? I mean, I I agree. I, I I'm on board with you. You can legally do your, in my opinion, based on reading the law, not being a legal scholar or a certified mechanic. From my understanding, personal of it, I I believe you can legally change your own oil. But I I know uh, one mechanic in particular who I'd love to have on the program if we could get uh, Mark on at some point. Uh, He was the one that we know that was vehemently against this mentality or, or was it another one i'm am i mixing people up i think it was the whole culture you know of that of that maintenance facility really that they shouldn't now understandably so it's easy money for them that's not a hard job for them to do and it's billable hours they were losing and blah 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 so from that perspective i get it i get it but legally speaking should you do it maybe not maybe there's certain airplanes that it's just not a smart idea but See, I can change the oil in my car. Why can't I change it on the plane? Like, it's not any more complicated. And it also, too, you should probably look inward at yourself as well. No, your are limitations. People, there are people like Scott who a lot of this stuff, you know, you grew up working on four-wheelers and bikes and go-karts and all kinds of stuff. It's all second nature to you, even though you're not a mechanic in real life. Or you say you are a mechanic. I know some mechanics down here in Florida at car dealerships who are are also into aviation, but they're not certified mechanics. And some of them have mentioned some things they feel inclined that they can do that they probably shouldn't do. Um, And then there's the types of people who shouldn't do anything. Like they shouldn't do anything other than fly the plane. Like they, they're pilots good pilots but they don't know anything about maintenance they they shouldn't be they shouldn't be topping off their oil probably like let alone doing an oil change well if, if you can't figure out how to top off your oil maybe you shouldn't fly but well that's another discussion but yeah there's there's pilots out there that's like man yeah they're decent pilots but man don't don't do too much under the cowling cuz that's not your uh, your forte yeah. I mean, yeah, you have some very intelligent people out there that from a mechanical sense are just not they're they're not there. They don't get it. They don't understand engine wear and tear and just the mechanical they're just not mechanically minded. You know, Scott, for example, is incredibly mechanically minded. It is he speaks the language more than I do, more than you do. You know, that's just the you know, that's just the way it is. Some people are wired that way. Um, you know, Scott happens to be a good pilot and very maintenance or uh, mechanically inclined. So he's like kind of the all-in-one. Rob, you might be a little bit more mechanically inclined than I am. And then I'm – it's it's all it's all balances. But you, what we said before, you have to look introspection, look inside yourself, know your limitations. And if there's any question, follow the most conservative path and call the mechanic. Right. I mean, it's not like you're admitting defeat, but you want the job to be done right. I mean, I would, this is kind of crazy because this is a a kind of a simple thing that I think I would tend to enjoy if I were an aircraft owner. 
this is a little bit of a labor of love thing to me. You're kind of under the tinkering thing. It would be terrible if they if they came down and robbed this from a lot of pilots. My, I guess my advice would be, if you're an aircraft owner, obviously you have an IA because you have to get an annual done every year. If there's something you want to do to the airplane, just call your IA and talk to him before you do it. Say, I, yeah, is is this is this okay for me to do? And if it's not something that's considered preventative maintenance that you can do, say, are you okay with me doing this and checking it out and signing it off? And that, that seems like the, the easiest way to cut and dry, go about this, you know? Yeah, that is probably the easiest way to make sure you're in the clear. And the and IA going to be different you know some are you know super strict and they might say no like i want to do it myself and others might be like i know you i trust you go ahead and do it i'll check it out i'll sign it off yeah. and, he, and even the same ia might have different comfort well, levels based yeah, with on different clients because yeah. you know oh if, airplane the customer right. all, there's a lot of a lot of conditions yeah. they've been working with for years and they know they're mechanically inclined and they they trust them, you know, they might say, yeah, go ahead and do it. I'll check it out. If it looks fine, I'll sign it off. And, you know, there might be another guy that calls the same person and is like, yeah, I'll do it myself. Just hold on, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, that's that's a good point. And if you, ha- if you have a good relationship or, you know, you really, and you should really respect your IA, and if you don't, find a different one. There's, you're not, it's not like you're married to them. So, um, find one that you can work with that wants to work with you that you get along with and that is open to these things. Yes, you may be taking a little bit of money out of their pocket by doing your own oil change. But if you're if you're using your airplane like most private pilot students are, if you're a private pilot certificate level, but you own your own airplane, you know, you're flying 50 to 100 hours a year. Like we talked about earlier, Rob, you know, you, you had three people in the airplane. You're flying... What would you say? Would you say about a hundred hours a year? I don't remember. I think we most put, people do like average of fifty, right? Would we say fifty hours a year is average? I mean, I mean that's probably on the high side. I'd say probably more like thirty. I think we I'm we more, own more the, a week. I'm more we like own the air a year. How many a year? <laughs> I don't five. Know. <laughs> no, probably five to ten. You're yeah, and I'm, there's what people I like that more often. I was probably around fifty. That's what they say. An hour a week, right? That sounds reasonable. Yeah. Scott, your mechanic flies your plane more than you do, I think. Yeah, um, actually, I would recommend if you own a plane, find a guy that's like an AMP or an IA that doesn't have a plane but likes to fly and make a deal with them. Make a deal with them like, you can fly my plane whenever you want if you keep it airworthy. Now, right. remember... Yeah, and that's and that's a great. I'm sorry to cut you off, though. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. If you had, I'm sorry. No, I, I was can't there. tell. There's, that was, I got a terrible lag with you. I can't. Oh, that, sorry. That was all I had to say, basically. Like, okay. if you if you own your own plane and you're not an AMP or an IA, uh, I would find a AMP or an IA that also likes to fly and say, Hey, you can fly my plane whenever you want. Just keep it airworthy. That's my I, problem with that. Go ahead. That's what you do. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah. Right. Okay. Sorry. I that wouldn't work for me. So right. as we talked about Scott's, you know, kind of the way he feels about the airplane is it's just he puts in the hangar, it's there when he needs it, and he doesn't care that much. He wants to be mechanically sound, which it is and works good, flies good, whatever. You're happy with it. For me, I don't want a partner. I don't think I don't believe that anybody, well, I, you know, I, Rob, Rob would sell it whenever What's I that? want. I can sell it. I can do whatever I want with it. I can fly it whenever I want. But I know I have, I have I an don't IA want to be in my airplane. I have an IA that I told him he can fly yeah. whatever he wants. Just keep it airworthy, and he keeps it. It's got fuel in it. It's washed, and it's airworthy. I can walk to my hangar, and it's ready to go twenty four seven. And I don't have to and do, but you're implying, yeah, you don't have to do anything because you don't yeah. care about it. But a lot of people do care. Rob would care. I would care. Yeah. But Rob would, Rob would take my setup any day. Right. Is that true, Rob? Be part, partners with an IA, your planes washed, fueled, maintained, ready to go. You can depends walk. on the person, depends on the airplane. It depends well, yeah. on. I mean, oh yeah, okay. See, a lot the plot of stuff. thickens. Yeah. Oh yeah, it depends on a lot of stuff. I had a, I had a, the, I owned half a, well, I had a half a one fifty. The other half was, like I said, Rob Angle was supposed to be on tonight. He bailed for reasons. Um, and his dad, who's um, Bob Angle, who we'll have on at some point. Both of them are, are Lake Erie Island pilot flight legends um that was i mean i didn't really realize at the time but that was such a good partnership that somehow worked um really well and it's because we we had known each other for probably a decade before we got into that that partnership um i would not be inclined to get into another partnership oh no uh, i just because an actual partnership like i own the difference I own it. I can I can fire him at any time. He doesn't own it. That that well no that that that's that is better less risky. But yeah, it just no equity in the plane. If like if I don't like something he's doing, or if I think he's flying it too much and it's interfering with me using the plane, which he hardly ever flies it. Which actually it, it bothers me more that he doesn't fly it because I feel like I'm taking advantage of him because he does all this work on it and never hardly ever uses it. But anyway, I could tell him any time, like, this is my plane. We're done, you know. But I, 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 you know, I would never do that, obviously. Rob and I feel like have a different perspective on this. I just I, I lean towards Scott. You have a great situation. It's an aircraft that you it, it does. Like I said, it doesn't have the shiny paint job. It's Honestly, not that big a deal. If it wasn't for Jim, I probably would have sold that thing by now. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I know. I've, I know. I've talked you out of selling it a couple I, times. I'm not a. I'm not a mechanic. I'm not. You know. I'm not an AMP or an IA. I don't have the time to maintain it, to wash it, to do all that stuff. Like, there's always something going on with it that I don't have the time to do. I probably would have just sold it if he didn't came around you know yeah i know i have talked you out of selling that a couple of times 
and you're at a point in your life where you're working like 70, 80 hours a week. Yeah. That's busy with the business. If I didn't have somebody else maintaining it and washing it and it's always got fuel in it, whenever he, whenever he uses it, he puts more fuel in it than he, than he burnt, you know? Uh, But what I'm going to say is I'm, I'm leaning more towards Lee's side of the, my next aircraft notice i did not say airplane maybe an airplane i don't want to pigeonhole myself my next aircraft i don't want anyone flying it but me Uh, i want the nice paint job um i want to be the one who keeps it waxed and perfect go for the beater and go for the beater and let somebody else take care of it no i'm gonna i'd rather pay an annual inspection to a good mechanic um, who does not fly it unless it's like a test flight after he did something maybe to it. He can ride um, on a test flight. He can ride yeah. on a test flight. He's not flying it by himself. Well, de- depending on what he did, I might want him to go up by himself and just double check. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah. yeah no, I get you. I get you, Lee. Um, but yeah, I, I, I want that thing. Um, I don't want anybody else touching it. You know, if any if anyone's going to be using it or flying it, you know, like maybe my nieces when they're older or something, and I taught them how to fly it, and they're doing solo stuff or something. And that uh, is different. The first solo for a, a son, a daughter, a niece, and nephew. That is grandson, granddaughter, whatever. That's that's a different story, and our temperament about it will be different by then too. I'm assuming. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I lean more towards Lee of having some, my next aircraft, I want to be nice because I, I had a angles and I 150 was the nicest 150 to this day I've ever seen. Um, so I, I do want something nice, um, for my next one. And yeah, I don't want a partnership. I don't want anyone else flying it. <laughs> very, very selfish like that. I I don't, I would not characterize that as selfish. I think that is just meticulous and uh, fastidious. And I think that is what, you know, I think that's what a good airplane deserves is an owner that is like that. Now, you know, the arrangement Scott has, he's more money motivated and he has a kind of a mechanic that doesn't mind doing the tinkering so it's available for scott to use so that is a good marriage scott has the right temperament and and feels that way about his airplane and the other guy feels a certain way about scott's airplane it just just works and i don't think in scott's situation i can think of a situation that's more ideal for that particular situation so i'm not knocking the situation at all scott i totally agree with you rob it just would never work for me. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think now, like I'm not trying to like judge you guys. You guys are phenomenal pilots. I would have a hard time having a partnership with you guys, even though I know Rob is OCD like I am and a phenomenal pilot, better pilot than I am. I don't know if it would work. I, I just don't know. I don't know how much I want to be partners with you. You'd make me spend too much money. Yeah, but you'd have a nice airplane. Yeah, you would force <laughs> me to spend so much money that... I'd be broke. It'd be well, anxiety ridden for like yeah, you'd months a year. Spend all my money. 
Well, I, yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I, it, just me, the airplane, you know, the what I would be looking to buy, I recognize that I would be doing a, a blend. Like, so, like, you made the comment, Rob, like, hey, they're going to, they're, they can go do that test flight. Like, they took an aileron off and put it back on. They can go do that test flight. No, I, I almost look at it the other way. When I get my airplane finally and I have the wherewithal in my life to have that airplane, I am basically going to be serving the function of the IA. They can be an IA and they can sign it off, but I'm going to watch basically everything they do. I'm going to inspect their work yeah. as well. Like Scott, It's not like there's going to be a counterpin missing. Like I'm not dumb enough and I will have research and I will know that airplane like if it's a cub or a super cub, I mean, I'm gonna know I'm gonna know the airplane enough that it's not gonna be a safety thing. So why do they need to go fly it? You and Scott being partners, that'd be like a phone call at the end of the month from Scott to you going, Lee, sixty dollars in wax? I'm losing sleep over this. Is this yeah. coming out of our joint account or is this something you're you're covering? Because I don't wanna Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if thirty dollars. I don't know if Lee and I would make good partners on an airplane, <laughs> but it I, it may be. Uh, well, I, I can't say it wouldn't be stress free, but no, I've I I look at it. Well, for one, I wouldn't be a pilot if it wasn't for um, several people. One of them being Bob Engel, you know, finding that one fifty and and inviting, getting my dad on board to get it when we we're. 15 or 16. Yeah. Um, but that was like, I look at that as like the one partnership I had with a plane that worked out. I don't want to push my luck anymore. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I, that's probably, that's probably a really good way to look at it. There's a lot more, I mean, with boats, anything that has a partnership, yeah. you've got a lot more odds of getting a bad deal than a good one. Well, that's right. Like I consider myself like, I consider Jim my partner, but ultimately at the end of the day, I have veto power because I own the plane. I own the hangar. I own everything, you know, like would Jim come on the podcast? Yeah, probably. Yeah. We have, we have probably half a dozen mechanics. We could probably get on yeah. here. It's just, we yeah. record on Saturday nights and everybody's got stuff going on on Saturday hey, nights. Now know. that we're out of quarantine. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if uh, I'm sure he would. I don't know. Well, so, yeah, it's nice to have different yeah, perspectives. Like, I consider him my partner. Like when I tell when I tell people about it, like you know, like because like my other IA that I used to use, like you know, I kind of feel bad because I haven't called him to do my inspection. But it's like I have a partner now, so like my partner in the plane has an IA. Why would I hire somebody outside to do it? You know, hundred percent. No, it doesn't make so, sense. Yeah. Driving back to the list, um, we're getting close to the. Yeah, the uh, it's okay. Joe Rogan does like three hour episodes. We can we can but, do a little bit. Um, Joe Rogan is he's better. he's a better broadcaster than we are. Um, well, if I mean, if we're gonna keep going, I need another beer. So, I'll get a get two beers. I'll get and shotgun one. one and drink the second one. one. I gotta be in bed by. You have vodka? You got wedding vodka left? I do, but I'm not getting into that. Yeah, don't more, get into the vodka. Oh, you're more entertaining with wedding vodka. Like, anyway, go like get a, a beer. Boy, tomorrow, not want, <laughs> not want to bury myself in a hole. All right. 
I'll cut to fancy in between music and we'll come back after your beer. All right, back to the list to, to wrap it up. Now that we're back, do you, uh, Mr. Boris has his beer. That's right. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. Uh, wrapping her up here. Um, so we talked about um, basically um, you use a couple of context clues. You can basically stitch together the fact that you can do an oil change as the owner-operator uh, with a pile certificate issued under Part 61. Um, then replacing and servicing batteries, you know, these batteries are different than your car. You know, you're used to going to AutoZone and getting a sealed battery, put it in and you're good. These actually have cells which are refillable. So, you know, if they boil off the, um, oh, I don't even know what that is. I, why can't I think of a like battery, battery acid, acid basically? Yeah. yeah I, mean, I don't I, know why. Why do What's they up? use, why did, why don't they use sealed batteries in aircraft? I imagine so that they're serviceable. I suppose, but. You can't. Are there any sealed batteries that are approved or no? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah. I mean, there's some very popular ones that are uh, that are sealed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Good. I'm. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure. And you know, definitely like in the light sport, and we've gained a lot of technology, and we've gotten kind of an informal test bed with some of this light sport stuff. Um, there, they've some things have gotten approved that weren't approved in, in you know normal category airplanes that maybe we'll have some time frame to see if they can get approved and get filtered over to the normal category airplanes uh, after they've been in service for a while. Um, the next one, cleaning of balloon burner pilot and main nozzle in accordance with the balloon manufacturer's instructions. Um, obviously, that's not airplane stuff, but replacement or adjustment of non-structural standard fasteners incidental incidental to operation. Um, what I, I have no non standard, non structural standard fasteners. Is that a green light for Scott to put drywall hooks in his cowling? That was in the uh, wall anchors. Well, yeah, they were wall anchors in uh, the uh, the part, the, the shroud that covers like the the place between the wing and the fuselage and on a Cessna. The wing root. Yeah, yeah, wing root. Yeah. Anyway, the so, mentioned partner that you have fixed all that. So let's move on with our yeah, lives. Yeah, I don't not, I do not have any wall anchors anymore. No, but it's oh, a time. You know, I was kind of doing my own thing. So statue of limitations yeah. apply. <laughs> yeah, long time ago. The uh, interchange of balloon baths, burners, that's balloon stuff. So there's more balloon stuff you can do. Um, here's a good one, I guess. The installation of anti. Misfueling devices to reduce the diameter of a fuel tank filler opening, provided the specific device has been made part of the type certificate, blah, blah, blah. So you don't put the wrong type of fuel in it, basically. Um, removing, checking, and replacing magnetic chip detectors. That's a turbine engine thing. Um, they have chip detectors. They basically detect uh, little metal particles, which kind of are indicative that the engine's going to grenade itself in some period down the road. Um, so you can replace that. Inspection and maintenance tasks prescribed and specifically identifying the preventative maintenance manual for that aircraft, maybe. Or it says primary category airplane or aircraft, and I don't know uh, exactly what that is. Um, um, and then there's some sub subsections on that um, that are probably really 
uh, not necessary to go into. The final one, this could be uh, applicable to a, uh, a private pilot with a normal airplane or helicopter. Removing and replacing self-contained front instrument panel mounted navigation communication devices that employ tray mounted connectors and connections uh, connect the unit when the unit is installed in the instrument panel. And there's more to it, but it's basically just listing uh, uh Basically, more guidance on that same concept. If it's plug and play, you can do it in the instrument panel, basically. Like radios, those are very easy. Allen wrench, they screw in, they screw out. You put it back in, you tighten the Allen wrench down. You can't really screw it up. So it's kind of idiot proof. And those are, and a lot of this stuff is, you know, so that that's kind of the bottom line. Work within your limitations. If you don't think you should be doing it, you probably shouldn't be. Um, and I mean, we covered everything else. I know we glossed over a few things, but it's not super pertinent. Um, but I think the big ones, like changing spark plugs, changing oil, changing tire is a good one. <clears throat> but yeah, changing oil is probably one of the biggest ones that that has been around as a controversy. Yeah. Once you guys agree. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the best way to go about it is just like what I, what I said earlier is it obviously if you own your airplane you have an IA because you have to have an annual so if you're unsure about something just ask them because they're going to be the one right. that's doing they're going to be the one that's doing the annual inspection so it's going to be up to them ultimately whether the aircraft is airworthy come time of the annual inspection so yeah, and if it's and I would say if it's more of a business arrangement with that, you know, you have a more of a partnership with this individual in, yeah. in your case, Scott. Yeah. But if it's more of a business arrangement and they're just kind of a, a necessary evil to you to keep your airplane airworthy, you know what you're allowed to do. No no you know what you're capable of. And because what Scott said does apply. If it's somebody who's like giving you a little bit of pushback, hey, you probably shouldn't change that tire, even though I know you legally can. Be expected for them to like look it over and be like, "Yeah, you didn't do this right," you know. So just got to right. bill you anyways or whatever. Well, you know, ultimately, if, if they don't want to sign you off, then they don't have to. So, right, right. I mean, you can always get another mechanic to do it, and well, eventually yeah. you'll probably get to one that will. Well, remember, depending on where life, you're at, though. So that you fly into an air, airport that only has one IA, and they say. Yeah, this I'm not signing this off. Then, <laughs> well, you can have another IA drive in. Well, I know, but that might be more complicated to find somebody. That's oh, it's all more complicated. Yeah. You should be yeah. working with. There's enough IAs. You should be working with one that works with works for you know works for you. Right. It, you turn it into more of a partnership like you yeah. have, yeah. where you can openly communicate with them, know what you're allowed to do. If you're mechanically inclined and you think, hey, I can easily tackle an oil change on this thing, which I imagine most people probably can. If you feel like inclined to do that and your mechanic giving you pushback and you know that you can do it, like skill wise, you have the, you know, the drive to do it. You just want to do it. And they're giving you pushback. Yeah, I would say find probably a find IA. a different, yeah. yeah, find a different IA. Yeah. Why keep working with them? I mean, I know, if it's if it, I, I know mean, maybe I know some IAs. I know some IAs that'll just sign off anything. So there yeah. are those too. I'm not saying go the go that end of the spectrum either, but you don't want somebody who's not going to let you do something or tell you or make you feel bad for doing something that you're allowed to do. That's that, that's how I feel about it. 
I think that wraps this one up. I'll put this one in the books. Yeah. Uh, our preferred method of communication on the Far Aim podcast is uh, email. My email is F-A-R-A-I-M at robertberger.com. A burger spelled B-E-R-G-E-R, the German way, not the sandwich way. Mr. Griffin is F-A-R-A-I-M at leegriffing.com, G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G. And Mr. Boris is F-A-R-A-I-M at scottboris.com, B-O-R-E-S. Um, that pretty much wraps this one in the books. Uh, we we really do appreciate emails. Any feedback? Um, let me check the, uh, the app. Apple app lately to see if we had any more reviews. We'll read one next time if we see one. Uh, until next time, thank you for listening and uh, we do appreciate uh, you pushing through this with us and uh, hanging out with us tonight. Take care. Thanks, guys. Later. I'm just going to do the announcement now. We haven't really talked about this, but when we hit 100,000 downloads for the podcast, we are going to we're going to have a, a massive rager fly in at Scott's Hangar. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. Sounds like a good time. Share the podcast with your friends. Get get us some more downloads. We uh are very very uh limited percentage of that completed yet. But it should happen in the next, I'd say, three to six years. It would be my <laughs> estimate. Uh, and then when it ha- does happen, it's going to be a, an eight-eight Delta Rager. Hell yeah! It's going to be it's going to be good stuff. Going to park uh, Scott's one fifty outside and turn it into like a grill station barbecue. Yeah, it'll get flipped over. Nothing will get flipped over. It'll be a riot. It'll be pond, a riot. pond front. On front at Scott's hangar. Yeah. Eight eight Delta. Right. Once we once we hit a hundred thousand downloads. All right. Just, anyway, the alcohol involved in a uh, light airplane. It's just yeah. it's just low hanging fruit. We have a make lot sure you, of mixer. Make sure you run. have when you come in, make sure you got a DP designated pilot. Or bring a tent and just yeah, camp or bring out a tent. Wing. Or just sleep in the grass, tent. whatever. Yeah, pass out in the grass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not the first time people when, have passed out around that pond. When my mom used to go to Oshkosh, they'd just bring a tarp and just pull it over the wing and just sleep under the tarp. Really? I would do that in addition to a tent because that effectively multiplies your... Well, that just made the... That was just... That was the, that was the tent, the tarp over yeah, the wing. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. And first off, I would, I mean, I would, if you took like a, a moving blanket or like a blanket and put that over the wing and then put the tarp over it, I would do that. I'm not yeah. dragging a tarp across the top of my wing. Well, They're kind of I abrasive. The, the guy, a little she, bit, the yeah. guy she used to fly with, with to Oshkosh with her friends probably didn't care. He used to paint his planes with a roller. So 
and and I mean, and I get that. I get that. I'm I'm just saying, me. I love I love the idea of that, but I would have to take some precautions before I just threw a tar- tarp over. But I would totally intend yeah. to do that. Would Scott care if a tarp went over the top of his wing of his 150 right now? No, not a not chance. at all. It's not going to hurt it. There's there's little scratches and and dings all over my wings. You put a you're tarp not over neurotic. It. You're not neurotic like Lee and I are about that stuff. We're like, well, yeah, you guys are weird. I had a, one about the 150 stuff. I had. I waxed like, you know, we waxed, we polished the. Well, you actually had a good paint nice. job. My paint job is like, you know, true. And if Lee had his, my paint job I'm looks sure. good from a distance, but once you get up close, I'm sure like, when Lee has his next airplane, if it doesn't have a good paint job when he gets it, I'm sure it's gonna be become a good paint job within a few years of him buying it. So I yeah, hope so. You, you, but so, you I mean, take that, care of that. Well, that I'm the that guy who up, would buy a plane cheap just because it needs a paint job and then not even bother to paint it. You know? Yes. And I get that. I, Cause you don't want to worry about it. Like I don't, I don't like being in the constant state of worry that I'm in. You know, when you have nice things, I feel like I'm constantly in a state of worry. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. You need to I, get those first scratches in so you don't care as much. Right. I used to have, have a first scratches are in, screw it. Different way off topic here, but I used to have a piece of crap motorcycle. And like I'd ride it places and just leave it because I was like 21 when I bought it. And like, you know, obviously I get drunk and just leave it places. And then like a couple of years later I bought a nicer one. I was like, it was kind of stressful because I didn't want to just leave it places, you know? Yeah. Like, at, um, dive bars and stuff you know i didn't want to leave it there it's kind of like ah, man i wish i still had my old one you know there is benefits to having running a piece of junk car bike plane boat right so i mean yeah i like the tarp idea over the wing i really do and i I would plan to do it i would totally do it i would just have a precaution so that i would yeah i would because you got to think, if, if it rains, like you get there, it's nice. When you leave, it's nice. But the whole time in between, it's raining. You don't want to be confined to a tent. Well, and depending just on, underneath the immediate footprint of the got with you, most airplanes, the seats pop out fairly easily. Pop the seats out and sleep in the plane. I bet the tent is more comfortable. Probably. Yeah. Probably. In Probably. most airplanes. I mean, if yeah, you gotta, I, mean, I can't even think of a one unless you get like caravan size. Yeah, or I was something. just going to say oh. Cessna 208 caravan. If you had that with no seats, that'd be a wonderful. That's like an out. RV. That's like an exactly. RV. Yeah. For that. <laughs> Scott, you cut out and all that. What'd you say? Even the 150. If, uh, if I pop the seats in out in the 150, I could stretch out in there. Yeah. But a what do you do bit. with your seats? It's raining outside. Just put them so, under the immediate footprint of the plane. Of the, the wing? No, well, it's going to drip. It's going to drip and they're going to be soaked. Uh, who cares? Dry them out in the morning. <laughs> no, it, no, I'm saying it rains basically the whole time you're there. Yeah, whatever. A perfect no. example of the convenience of not having something nice. Like Scott and I have done a lot of boating out to the Lake Erie Islands in addition to flying the Lake Erie Islands. And we take like my dad or uh, my uncle's boat and they're um, they're kind of like more Lee Griffin style with their boats. Like everything yeah. is unbelievably meticulous on their boats. Like per absolute perfection. So that's a lot different than like running one of 
my dad's boats over the island is a lot different than running Scott's brother's boat over to the island. <laughs> Donnie's boat. Yeah, that was a that, like, was a that was a messy time. Yeah, because like we'd run we'd run my dad's boat over, and it's like, okay, you dock it perfect. You make sure no one's wearing shoes on the boat. All the lines are perfect, so nothing rubs. Fenders are put out, which non-boaters fenders are the bumper things that keep everything from hitting the dock. Gandhi Boris's, which should be on the program at some point here, he keeps chickening out. He was he was our backup and bailed out because he's running jet skis out to the Putin Bay Island tonight. Um, he we we run his boat over the island sometimes, and he did not care. It was not a no, fancy boat. That was whatever uh, whatever happened. happened. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you get one cleat tied to the dock with a sweatshirt. It's fine. (laughs) Boat drives by with a wake and bashes in the dock for hours at a time while we're at the bars. No big deal. (laughs) Bunch of, you know, 10 people we don't know wanting to ride back to the mainland. All wearing shoes, destroying the boat. Not a problem. Nobody cares. As long as someone's sober and can run it back and not get a ticket. We didn't really care. So that's kind of similar with the planes, you know. It just depends if it's a nice plane, you keep it nice. If it's not a nice plane, it's there's benefits to both. There's something about pulling up on a pristine airplane on the tarmac, like up to the FBO, and having it be perfect and people complimenting on you. That's awesome. But there's also awesome in you have a plane where you don't have to worry about you just tie it down. Something happens to it, not a big deal. You're not worried about anything. Benefits, pros and cons to both. Yeah. I mean, I don't care what a plane looks like. I care more about like how much time is on the engine. That's my biggest thing. Looking for, cause I've been kind of looking for a four, four place airplane. Like, I don't really care what it looks like. I just want to know how much time is on the engine and how long ago was the last overhaul. Those are the important, yeah, those are the right. important questions yeah. to, I don't, I don't really care. Really. I get, but I mean, I'm with you. And I mean, obviously I have spent a lot of my flying career treating airplanes solely as tools, like whatever, use them, abuse them, put them in the hangar, do it all over again the next day. But it changes to me when it becomes personal. Now I can appreciate that. I don't want a pristine airplane because I don't want to have that worry. But like you said, like, Oh, I don't care how it looks. I mean, do you really not care? Because I mean, I think well, I'm you not would like to have a nice looking. No, I mean, you're I'm just not saying the price does. Yeah. The price does not like warrant. If, if the I find look. a plane that's a little bit cheaper because it needs a paint job badly, but it has a low time engine, versus a plane that has a high time engine but has just been repainted and looks awesome, I'm going to go with a low time engine every time. Yes, that I mean I don't think anybody would ever doubt that. But what if it's a low time engine, crappy paint job, low time engine, good paint job, but it is five to ten percent more money. Well, five to ten percent is not that bad. But if we're talking like well, yeah, but if you're talking about a fifty thousand dollar airplane, let's say it's a one seventy two, and you got a one seventy two that's got a low time engine but looks like, and it's. 30,000. Okay. Or you've got a 172 that has a high time engine, but looks amazing. And it's, or 
we're doing the same time. So let's say that they're, they're both low time 172s. One looks like she needs a paint job and the other one looks amazing, but it's 10 grand more. I'll save the 10 grand and buy the one that needs a paint job and just fly it. I don't really care. So as long as it's so if it's less than 30% more yeah. Would you go with the better paint job? So you said probably, it's ten probably. grand more, which happens to be thirty percent. So I, I might pay five grand more for a nice paint job. Okay. Okay. Well, good for you. Fifteen percent. You're going fifteen you'll pay fifteen percent more for a good paint job. Yeah. What is a new which what is a new more, paint job I mean, cost? Probably ten grand. I don't know. On a one seventy two, yeah, ten. Oh. But I don't care that much about it, so I'm not willing to pay ten grand for it. Yeah, so he, yeah, he, that's the thing. That's see, that's where Rob went, kind of where I went. He's yeah. like, eventually you're going to get it painted, right? Eventually you want it to look nice, right? No. Scott doesn't care. No. He just cares about the money. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm not. I don't. If unless it's, I don't care if it looks like crap as long as it's mechanically in good shape. Whatever. Which it's arguable that that is a wise proposition. Um, yeah. The listeners don't know. I, I I don't even know if Lee knows this. I'll share something about Scott. You know, they say they say be forthcoming with the audience. I'll be forthcoming with information about Scott, not myself. Scott has a driveway. That <laughs> speaking of ten thousand dollars, I think it's right along the lines of the same um, amount of money. Uh, Scott has a driveway that is gravel, uh, on a house that he built and he does not pave the driveway because it would cost $10,000 to, uh, cement and make the driveway look nice versus just leave it construction zone stone, which he has till this day. Not for the lack of 10 grand. No, 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 no. No, we understand that. We understand you, that. you did the calculation of right. what ten thousand dollars would do in mutual funds, and yeah. for, I yeah, did a, and then you trade a return in a in a you know like a uh, mutual fund or four hundred one k, and then like over thirty years that ends up at whatever hundred yeah. two hundred thousand dollars, and Scott says I'm not paying that for a driveway. No, and that's how but I calculated everything. That's why I still I'm drive. I'm paying six. I still drive a 1997 Ford Ranger that I bought when I was in high school. And that's, com- and that, and that's commendable. I mean, I, I, we appreciate that about you very greatly, but I mean, th- it's just, it's interesting how your priorities are because you have an immaculate house. You don't give a shit about anything else. The driveway up to your house, it seriously looks con- like a construction zone. Oh, like yeah. There could be four by four, two by fours out in yeah. the driveway in drywall. And people would think, oh, it's a new construction house, like just getting built. No, it's been there for how long? 10, 12 years? 10 uh, years? On 10, almost 10. 10 years. Okay. Immaculate like house, but everything around, I mean, everything else about Scott, 97 Ranger, beat well, up airplane. Everything yeah. in the house that's immaculate is because of the wife, not Scott. Yeah, the wife keeps it clean. Yeah, but, but he, he built the house. I did spend yeah, the money. True. I did spend the money. I, you know, I paid the extra money for the, you know, I got the granite countertops and the, the hard floors and all that stuff. You know, I, I, I like, but that my thought was like, I have to live in this thing. So I want it to be nice. Like an airplane, you're only going to spend right. a few hours at a time, you know. 
but I'm going to look at it all the time, which is why I want it to look well, nice. I'm going to look not, at it in the hangar more than I'm going to fly it. I can look at it that much. Well, yeah, you have it tucked away in a hangar, and that's just the way you, you do it. Like, I just washed and waxed my car today. When was the last time you washed your Ranger, if ever? <laughs> Actually, I do wash salt off it because I don't mind driving a piece of crap, but I don't want it to be completely rusted off. So we live in Ohio, so in the wintertime, I do wash it because I don't want it. It does have rust, but it's not, like, rusted out, you know. I don't want to drive oh, yeah. I don't want to drive something around that's, like, completely rusted out. Yeah. So totally. I, do wash I, I, I do wash salt off of it, but I okay, don't wash so it. The waxing, that's completely out of the question. Oh, yeah. No, I waxed it once when I was, like, when I, like, maybe, like, a year after I bought it, when I was, like, you know. 17 but <laughs> and this off topic subject we'll try to get back on track anyone who knocks yeah, us yeah. trent palmer on his youtube channel talks about building his brand new house so we can drop scott's build of a house next to a runway in our podcast but let's uh let's get back on uh the maintenance what are we covering again maintenance, maintenance. i don't even remember off track here this is pretty bad for getting off track yeah, this is purchasing on his countertop. We're talking about a house and driveways. <laughs> this is like one of our worst off track episodes ever. There's some nuggets of information in here, though. We have to chip in and get him a better internet connection. He, no, he, this is one thing. That's the fastest internet he can get at that location. It sucks. Oh yes, it does. Like you can, I can, you can talk, and I can talk at the same time, and I can hear me, and I can hear you. He, when you talk over him, you can't hear him. Exactly. So you and can't have an in-room with, conversation. Same thing with me. Yeah. Drives me nuts. Yes, I won't. I won't name drop because I'd love to have him on the program. He's fascinating stories. Um, but I was at the bar uh, at Kelly's Island. It's not the only time I've been in for a at a bar at Kelly's Island. This particular one, I knew the gentleman drunk. and I needed, drunk. Yeah, I needed, uh, I needed a biannual flight review, which we don't call biannual flight reviews anymore. Um, what do we call them now, Lee? Just a Just flight, a flight review. review. I needed a flight review, and uh, I think I ended up having Mister Cochran do it, which we'll have on at the program at some point that year. Uh, but this was, I was coming up in a, in a few weeks and uh, he basically wanted me to go up. My plane was out at the airport on Kelly's at the time. He wanted me to run the golf cart out again, which I told him, no, I have had a few adult beverages. So I would never drive a golf cart on Kelly's Island after having a few adult beverages. No. So that was a primary thing. And then the secondary one was, I just didn't want to have him sign off a flight review while we sat at the bar uh, talking about flying stories uh, without actually doing anything for the flight review. Off the record, you're going to have to remind me about this because I can't remember who it was that you were talking to. Yeah, I want to know too. (laughs) I don't remember. I'll tell you afterwards. No, I edited the episode. I think it came out the last uh, episode. I was supposed to mention something to you guys after we hung up and I never dropped the name. No. Oh yeah. Lee wanted to know who pretended, uh, he had an airplane at the bar that you called out 
Oh, oh yeah, on yeah, episode yeah. twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, we never. We, That's yeah. I'll, I'll, if we remember after we hit after recording stops, we'll tell you that one and the this gentleman who uh, who offered a uh, a a bar stool flight review. Which is always, always. I remember, I remember once, long time ago, I was probably like 10 or 12, maybe. I was out at one of the hangars and uh, one of the old pilots handed his logbook to one of the other old pilots that was a CFI and said, I need a flight review. And he's like, okay. I just remember watching this as a kid. You know, I didn't even know what they were doing. And then later, as I got older, I was like, Okay, I know what they were doing. <laughs> he's like, I need a flight review. He hands him the logbook and he's like, oh, okay. And he fills it out and just hands it back to him. And that was that. And then, like, I didn't know what it was about, but I, I do remember him asking the other guy for a flight review. And it, several years later, as I got older, I was like, I remember that. I'm like, that was illegal. <laughs> <laughs> God, think of the people out there that do stuff just like that. And think of the people that just plain don't go get a flight review. Yeah. 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 It is just crazy how cavalier you can be. Yeah, Both you of can, these people are dead now. Not from flying incidents, but they're not. It's a lot of these stories. Going, we have so. interesting stories and they are now passed away yeah. but from old age, uh, amazingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right, right. We have all these stories about people that somehow escaped death in airplanes. But <laughs> Blows my mind. That's more of the tame one, just signing off a flight review. As far as well, that's well, that is true. That is true for sure, for sure. For most, some of the stories that we all have heard that are out there, yeah, that's yeah. A so wild. Uh, 